0: Sing the rest of the morning I don't know about you that was that was wonderful appreciate all the time that our musicians put into this to make this a really enjoyable experience to sing together I don't know how many of you were like me in this regard but one of the things that I know for sure is, is that man's made in God's image right we're made in God's image and One of the ways that I reflect God's image, I think, is that I have a pretty um, ingrained sense of justice and injustice. Anybody else? Mine usually comes out at a ball game. I don't know when yours comes out. Mine usually comes out at a ball game. My sense of right and wrong gets, you know, it gets a little fired up. But it also comes out in this regard, too. I look around the world around me and, and I see all the wrong that's being done, and it seemingly it goes unchecked. Anybody else just get tired of that? And, and, and I usually, I, I, I turn on the news for a little bit, and it usually doesn't last for more than four or five minutes, and I find myself saying things like this, that, that's just so wrong, or that's, that's not fair. And you and I, as children of God, we're waiting for all the rights or all the wrongs to be righted, aren't we? We're just waiting for it to happen. And how long are we going to have to wait? And it just seems like every day that we wait, it gets worse and worse. And yet Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. And I'm like, it sure seems kind of slow down here right now. Anybody else like that? Like, it, it, we could speed this up just a little bit, Father. But Peter goes on to say in verse 10 of 2 Peter 3, the day of the Lord will come. It's coming. It, 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 the day of the Lord will come. And what we're looking at today in Luke chapter 21 is not some futuristic science fiction story which is great because I hate science fiction. This is not some futuristic, like, you know, kind of Star Wars saga, thank God. This is more of a promise of God that Jesus himself spoke in regard to and with his disciples just days before he would hang on a cross. I want, you to, I want you to get this in your mind, and I want, you to, I want you to kind of think with me in this whole setting of what's happening here. This is just days before Christ is going to die on a cross, and he is taking the time to answer this question of his disciples. When is it going to happen, and what is it going to look like? When is it going to happen, and what is it going to look like? And we, we take it so many times, and we try to further complicate it, and if we would just focus in on what Jesus said, it wouldn't be so complicated. So this morning, I invite you to join me in the book of Luke, chapter 21. We're going to pick up in verse 25. We're going to go through to the end of the chapter. I'm like, whoa, PD, you're actually taking more than four verses. This is amazing. <laughs> verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also... When you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount, of, mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Father, in the moments that we have now left, direct our attention to the words of Christ, I pray. And Lord I know it's not possible for us to 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 hear him audibly say these words but we have something just as great we have them written down for us this morning and preserved and kept by your spirit for all these years so that this morning on July 3rd we can we can consider these words consider their meaning for us so spirit we ask that you would do your work in our hearts that you would take take the perfect word of god and drill it deep into our hearts so that it changes us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we want to see three things, okay? Three things. We want to see Christ's prophecy specifically about his second coming. We want to see what he has to exactly say about it. Secondly, we want to see the parable that explains the timing. Remember, one of the questions that the the, the disciples had for Jesus was, is when is this going to happen? And he's going to give them a parable that explains the timing of this. And then thirdly, We want to see the warnings and admonitions that that Jesus gives to those who wait. We We want to see those warnings and admonitions. So let's begin by looking in verses 25 through 28, Christ's prophecy concerning His return, His second coming. Now, when I look at these verses, just as we think about them as a whole... These are pretty obvious signs, okay? Even as we read them, these are obvious things, right? Signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and distress of nations because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Those seem like pretty obvious things, right? We're going to know, or people on earth are going to know when there's going to be these signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and and they're going to be able to see it. And verse 27 is a very obvious one. You will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. These are not not things that Jesus is hinting at that we have to have a lot of nuance to understand. These are just bold predictions about what it's going to be like. And so, the first thing that he points to is, is there is going to be, it's going to be signaled in the celestial, in the celestial bodies. There's going to be signs in the celestial bodies. That's the first thing that Jesus wants to say. The first thing he says is, there's going to be changes with the sun, moon, and stars. There's going to be changes with the sun, moon, and stars. Not, not that, that you're going to have a little bit of climate change or something like that. There's going to be radical changes in the sun, moon, and stars, Jesus is pointing us to. If we had time, we would go look at four prophets in the Old Testament this morning. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Joel, and the prophet Amos. Because they wrote at different times, and they, and they wrote to different people, and, but they were also inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they all said the same thing thing. And what they had to talk about was the idea that the sun is going to go dark. Here's a question for you. If the sun went dark right now, do you think it would grab our attention? Do you think it would grab our attention? Yeah. I think it would grab our attention. I think we would notice that. Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 8 speak about the signs that are going to take place in the stars. Literally, in Revelation chapter 6, John writes it this way the sky is going to disappear like a scroll being rolled up. Literally, the heavens as we know them, the, the, what we see out there in the atmosphere, at one point, it's going to get rolled back like a scroll. And it's just going to disappear, it's going to vanish. John goes on to write about a star named Wormwood that will fall to the earth. A star that will, how many of you, whenever you see the reports, NASA, all... NASA always is putting out a report. This meteor is getting a little close, and this space junk might fall to the earth. And, all... and, and, and when I hear that stuff, I'm like, oh, come on. Come on. One day they're going to give a report and they're going to be like, hey, there's a major star on its way to collide with the earth. And you know what? They're going to be right that time. They're going to be right. John calls the star Wormwood, and it falls to the earth, and it literally poisons a third of the fresh water on the earth. A third of the water on the earth is poisoned. We also find that a third of the light of the sun, moon, and stars will be gone. As I said, these will be obvious signs. (laughs) They won't be getting on the news. The talking heads will not be getting on the news and saying, we told you climate change was going to do this. This is going to be a radical change that happens in just a moment, and it'll be clear to those who are on the earth that the hand of Almighty God is at work. It'll be clear. It'll be obvious. I want you to see the result of these things happening. Look at verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. The the idea here, and and this is the only time that this word is used in the Greek where we have it translated here, fainting with fear. It's a really interesting word. It really means to breathe your last. People literally will die in fear. Now I've seen some scary things in my life. I don't know that I've ever been scared to death though. I say that sometimes. Uh, you know, certain, certain things can scare me that way, but literally people, their hearts will fail from fear. This shouldn't surprise us. Isaiah talked about this in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 8 when he was talking about the end times, and he said this, that the people on earth will be dismayed and that their hearts will melt. Their hearts will melt, and they will look aghast at one another. Literally, literally, what the, what the people on earth are going to be doing during this time is they're going to just be like... There's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. It's so bad that John, when he records this in Revelation chapter 9, says this, the people are seeking death, but they will not find it. I want you to understand what's happening here. And I want you to be clear on this. God isn't just taking the earth and, and like saying, you know what? I'm going to play ping pong with the earth for a while because I can, because I'm God. God isn't saying, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm tired of, of what's going on down there, and I'm just going to let them feel what it's like a little bit here. No, this is Almighty God who has, who has for centuries and generation after generation held back His wrath and held back His judgment on sin. He is finally, absolutely unleashing all of His fury and wrath on sin. And the thing about it is, much of the world is not going to repent. Much of the world is going to look at all of this and they're even going to get more angry and more hardened towards God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? And so it's in this context, the context of verse 25 and 26, You've got all these changes happening in the sky. It's affecting the tides so much that at the end of verse 25 that people are in perplexity because of the roaring sea sea and the waves. It's changing everything here on this globe, and and you've got people literally dying in fear. Jesus says this in verse 7, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Question for you. If Jesus says all the people on the earth are going to see him coming, will all the people see him coming? Will they, church? This world will see Jesus coming on a cloud. It will be witnessed. It will be seen. Clouds in the scripture are always associated with power and with glory. Don't think of fluffy white clouds. Think of angry clouds. Think of foreboding, dark Gray clouds, full of lightning and full of thunder. Think of those kinds of clouds. We saw last week when we were in the passage just prior to this that the world is going to march on Jerusalem. Right, the, the world is going to march on Jerusalem. Go with me to over to Acts chapter one and verse eleven, because later on Luke is going to write his follow up to Luke. He's going to write the book of Acts. And in the second volume that he writes here, the book of Acts, in chapter 1, he recounts how Christ leaves this earth, okay? And so in verse 10 of Acts chapter 1, it says that while the disciples were gazing into heaven as he went... And imagine that, okay? You literally are there one, one minute with Jesus. He tells you these things. He's like, here's what I want you to do. Here's your, here's your commission. Here's your, here's your orders. You're standing there talking to Jesus. The next thing you know, he's disappeared in heaven, and you're just kind of like, where'd he go? And as they're looking up, two men stood by them in white robes. Now, in my imagination, my divine imagination, which is always right, I, I, I picture that they don't even notice the two guys standing next to them because, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, when did you guys get here? And notice what they say Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay? Where is this all taking place? Well, verse 12, and they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And so literally the disciples are there. They're talking to Jesus. One minute he's giving them marching orders. The next minute he disappears into heaven to return to glory with his father. Two men in white show up, and they say, hey, guys, what what are you doing looking into heaven? Understand this, this. The same Jesus, the way he returned, he's coming back that same way. He's coming back that same way. Zechariah prophesied this much earlier in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. He said that Christ would return to the Mount of Olives, and it will be so cataclysmic that the Mount of Olives will literally split in two when Christ returns. John records it for us in the book of Revelation, and I want you to see it with me, because John's picture is very vivid. John, John records for us in Revelation chapter 19. Let's turn over there this morning, and let's see what it's going to look like. Get word of what it's going to be like in heaven. I've never, I've never gone to battle, I've never, I've never done that in my life, I've never had that, that, that experience. But I've watched a lot of movies about battle, so I've got to understand, right, because I'm, I'm, a, TV, I'm a TV pro, right? I've been in locker rooms before we've taken the floor playing basketball or something like this, and one of the last things you do in the locker room is you just kind of get everybody rallied around, right? Like, we're going to do it even though we know we're going to go out and be be beaten by 40 points, right? We're going to do it tonight. Yeah, yeah, right? I want you to see the rally that takes place in heaven verse 19 or verse 1 of chapter 19 and this i heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality as an avenged excuse me as avenged on her the blood of his servants and once more they cried out hallelujah and the smoke from her goes up forever and ever And then we have a picture of what has been taking place in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb in verses 6 through 10. That's where the church will literally sit down at a meal with Christ. (laughs) What What we did this morning is just a foretaste of what we will do in his presence with him. But I want you to see verse 11 through the end of the chapter. John, as he's witnessing these events, okay? John sees these events before they actually take place, but, but he is being shown these events, and he has been told, write this down. I want the world to know this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is a different kind of entrance to earth than, than, we're, than we've seen with Jesus. The first time Jesus came came very quietly, didn't he? He didn't come to make war. He came to make peace, didn't he? He came to lay down his life so that we can be at peace with God. Now he's coming to make war. Verse 12, this is not a little infant that's laying in a manger. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns signifying his power and authority. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, not his own blood. It's the blood of where he's been judging already. It's the blood that has splashed up on him. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Okay, if you had any wonder about who this is, if you wondered if this was Jesus or not, think back to John's John's gospel. And in John chapter 1 and verse 1, we read this verse, in the beginning was the what? The Word. Who is the Word? It's Christ. It's Christ. And so John says, he's called the Word of God. But it's not just Jesus alone on a white horse. Continue on. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, pure and white, were following him on white horses. Who are the ones in heaven who are arrayed in white? White is a symbol of purity and righteousness. Who are the ones in heaven who, who are clothed in, in this purity? It's the believers from all the ages. And they too are mounted on white horses. But the attention isn't on this great army. <laughs> you know, in, 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 our, in our view of war, whoever has the bigger army wins, right? 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 Usually we like like I don't I don't want to go, I don't want to go to a fight with with only five if the other team or whatever the other group has twenty-five. Okay. It doesn't matter about the armies of heaven. And John focuses on verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great, small and great. In other words, every class of person on this earth is going to be bird food, Right? And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." When Jesus talks about they will all see me in Luke chapter 21, they're not just going to see him, they're going to feel the wrath of God that comes directly from his mouth. Comes directly from his mouth. When Christ comes, when Christ comes, it'll be too late for this earth. (laughs) There'll be no, oh, I should have rethought things, I should have done things differently. What's interesting, and we don't have time to look at it now, though, is even during that seven-year tribulation period, the earth will have plenty of opportunities to be warned. There will be plenty of opportunities to be warned. There will be two evangelists who will appear on the scene, and they will do amazing things. There will be 144,000 witnesses who will go all over the earth, and they will testify to the greatness of Christ. Here's what I know. There will be believers who are saved during this time. There will be those who will be redeemed. But those who are not redeemed will die by the sword coming out from the mouth of Christ. So back to Luke chapter 21. Jesus says this in verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's talking specifically to those saints who will be alive on the earth during in those days. He's like, when, when you see the signs in the heaven, when 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 you see people literally falling over in fear and dying, he's like, get your head up. It's about to happen. Normally, in those situations, if you know something big's about to go down, what do we tell people? Get your head what? Put your head down. Stay low. Jesus is like, no, get your head up and witness this. I'm about to return. I'm about to rescue you. Reminding you of this. Where will the church be? (laughs) The church will be behind Christ on horses, right? We will have been taken out of this earth already. We will come and return with Christ. We're not going to be on the receiving end of this at all. But Jesus now, he's given all these events, right? And when you think back through this chapter, he talks about the destruction of the temple. He talks about the rumors of wars and and all these things that are going to happen. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now he talks about his second coming, but he hasn't answered the one question that they had for him, and that is, when is this all going to happen? When is this all going to happen? Well, in typical Jesus fashion, he gives them a parable. In Matthew 24... Matthew records this in verse 36. As he's giving this parable, he says this: No one knows the day or the hour. Okay, no one knows the exact time of this. But but what he tells us here in verses 29 through 32 is is that it'll be pretty obvious. It will be pretty obvious. Look at verse 29. He told them a parable. He says, "Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near." All right. Think back a couple months we had a very cold and wet spring, didn't we? Right? But, but when the trees started to turn green, how many of you got some hope that summer was coming? Yeah. Yeah. Because we know when, when the leaves start to come on the trees, we know what's coming next. And what Jesus is saying is this, you're going to know, he says in verse 31, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Let me ask you a question, as we look back over this chapter, has the temple already been destroyed once? Has it? Yeah, it has. Do we see, even now in our lifetime, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom? Are, are we seeing that? Are we seeing, are we seeing precursors of what it's going to be like to have famine and pestilence all over the earth? Do we see it in, in regional areas? Yeah. Do we even see things in the heavens that scare us a little bit now? And it's not just Elon Musk's satellites? Do we see things that happen up there? Yeah. Do we we see how Jerusalem and how Israel is hated by the nations? So understand this. Verse 31, Jesus is saying, when you start to see this stuff ramp up, Know that the kingdom of God is near. Can I say this to us this morning? I'm not going to predict a time because that would be absolutely foolishness, but I can tell you this, the return of Christ is near. It's near. It's near. You say, PD, every generation has said that. Yeah, and you know what? They were right. It was nearer than the generation before them, right? But I can just tell you this, it's near. It's near. And if you and I aren't prepared for it, if we don't take the ticket out that is Christ and get raptured off this this place, you're going to face the wrath of God poured out over seven years on this earth. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33. We put a lot of emphasis on the second half of this verse and rightly so, but in doing so we miss the first half of the earth, or first half of the verse here. What does he say? Heaven and earth will what? That's a definite statement. Jesus is saying this to us. There is coming a day when this earth as we know it will be no more. The, heaven will not, the heavens will be not anymore. It's going to all go away. Peter talks about it in the passage I alluded to. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. He's talking about these scoffers who are, who, are, who are saying, this is all just a myth. It's not going to happen. This is, this, is all just, this is all just science fiction. It's all fairy tale, right? Verse 4 of 2 Peter 3, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And in a way, can't we all say that? Nothing has really changed on this earth, right? We're just rolling along, Right? Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world when they existed, then existed, was deluged with water and perished. In other words, what Peter is saying this, to, to say that God is not going to judge this earth is just as stupid as the people who lived in the days of Noah, right? Right? He goes on to say in verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. You realize that the earth is just a big ball of kindling? It's what it is. It's just a big ball of kindling. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that... That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as sun men count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's the grace of God right there. Right? There's the grace of God. But then Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. You ever been robbed before? How many of you ever been robbed? We were first married, we got robbed, we had our house broken into. There is nothing more paralyzing and violating than than walking into your house and realizing that someone just came through the door before you, and and they left their their greasy handprints going up your stairs, up to your bedroom on the wall, and they totally tossed your bedroom and they stole your wife's jewelry. That's kind of just violating, isn't it? I would have been more prepared if he would have called me ahead of time and said, by the way, I'm going to be robbing you in two hours, right? Right? I'd been ready for him. Thieves don't announce when they're coming. Thieves always come at the wrong time. Have you figured that out? Thieves never come at the right time. And he says this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see the three things that he says there? He says the heavenly bodies will be burned up They'll be dissolved. He says that that the heavens are going to pass away with a roar, and he says the earth and the works that are done on it are going to be exposed. What do you suppose he means by that? Well, I don't think we have to think hard about this. All of the evil that has been done and has been covered up and has been shrouded and that seemingly has gone away and and, and all these things that, that, that are great mysteries to us will one day all be exposed and brought to light in God's judgment. And so then he goes on to say, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? The earth's going to be destroyed, and what Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 is going to take place. It's going to take place in, in, in the timeline of things that's going to take place after the thousand-year reign of Christ is when that's going to take place, but it's all going away. But Peter gives us admonitions, and he does so because it was modeled to him to give an admonition, and I want you to see the admonition that Jesus gives back in Luke chapter 21. So, Jesus has answered the disciples' questions, and he gives them an admonition. And we would be wise to sit up and wake up and take note of these admonitions right now. Okay? Are you locked in with me? We got 10 minutes left. You locked in? Because this is really important stuff here, what Jesus says. Look at verse 34. What is the typical Christian's tendency? Who do we tend to look out after? Do we tend to look out for ourselves or do we look at other brothers and sisters in Christ? We typically look at others, don't we? Pastor, do you know what so-and-so has been doing? Are you aware that sister so-and-so is… Why don't we like to look at ourselves? Because we don't like what we see in our hearts. Let's be honest, right? So, So if I don't like what I see in my heart, it's better if I focus on your heart. And if I focus on your heart, I can find things in your heart that's worse than my heart every time, right? Jesus says this to his disciples, you watch yourselves. And he points out three traps. Okay? Who's speaking here, church? Everybody look up here. Who's speaking here? Is this PD's list? Or is this Jesus' list? Okay, okay, because this might be a thing where like, well, PD, you know the holiday is tomorrow and you're just railing on us here about these things that we might do. No, this is Jesus' list. Notice what he says. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with three things. Do you see them there? With dissipation. What's the second one? Drunkenness, and what's the third one? Cares of life. Cares of life. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have pointed to, right? Don't get involved in lust. Don't get involved in in lying. Don't get involved in, in gossip. Don't get involved in hypocrisy. He could have put a lot of things in this list, right? Notice what Jesus says. Notice what he points to as traps, and what he says is, don't get weighed down with these things. Don't let these things drag you down. The first two are really interesting. That word dissipation is an interesting word. It's not one that we probably used. I'm guessing nobody used the word dissipation in the last week. Am I right? You know what it is? Some of you know what it feels like or have experienced it in your life. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. Dissipation is the nausea that comes when you get drunk. I heard that. (laughs) Some some of us know what that feels like, right? Jesus says, "Don't, don't try to drown your sorrows in the end here. And then he says, number two, drunkenness. He basically says the same thing in this list twice, doesn't he? Two of the three deal with being controlled by alcohol. And I have to ask myself when I'm reading this, Jesus, why are you picking on these two? And I only can come back to this because it's a real thing. Because it's a real thing. We live in a world where people are trying to hide the fact and hide themselves from the fact that God is judging them, and what's the quickest way for them to numb their senses to that? What is it, church? A good buzz will get you numb to it, right? And then the third thing he says is this, the worries of this life, the issues, the temptations, the things that we, put, that we place importance on, the things that truly crowd out what truly matters. And every one of us is guilty of allowing one of these or more of these three or more of these, one or two or more of these three things to crowd out the fact that Christ is returning and our seriousness about it. Jesus says this. That day's going to come upon you like a trap and it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, is anybody going to be able to avoid it? No. And so he says this, stay awake at all times, praying He's talking specifically to that last generation who's going to be here. Stay awake and pray. But I want to tell you, folks, in light of Christ's return, you and I, every single one of us ought to be living a lot more holy life. That's not my words. It's the words of the writers of Scripture. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Paul here is writing to the Roman believers He's, he's writing to a church. He's writing to believers, right? And he says in Romans 13... Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, even as believers, we are still fighting that battle of wanting to satisfy the desires of our flesh. And Paul says this, in doing so, you're actually keeping your eyes off the prize in the fact that Christ is returning. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. By the way, did you hear Pastor Dan say that if you drink, you're sinning? Did you hear me say that, church? What did Jesus say? What was it that He specifically condemned? drunkenness and the nausea that comes with it, right? But you also hear Pastor Dan say this, what's the one guaranteed way to know that you'll never get drunk, church? What's the one guaranteed way? Okay. You just said that because tomorrow's the 4th. Some of you got to go to work on Tuesday. I only work one or two days a week, so you know uh, what? 1 John chapter 2, here's what John has to say. Look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, abide in Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Mm. Think about it. Are there some things, I know in my own heart, there are some things that I have allowed my mind to do. There are some things that I've actually done that if Christ were returned and I was doing those things, I would be desperately ashamed. I'd be like the little kid, maybe you have a kid like this, that when they do something wrong, they just disappear and they're in the corner. And then when you come in the room, they just look like this. Yeah. Why? Shame. The way to not be ashamed is to not do shameful things. Do you hear what I said? The way to not be ashamed when Christ returns is to not be involved in doing shameful things. It's to, it's to turn from those shameful things and to confess them for what they are, their sin, and, 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 and claim the fact that they were judged in Christ on the cross and not participate in those things anymore. But let's be honest, there are so many things that compete for for our thinking, that compete for our attention, that compete for our affection. Are there not? There are so many temptations out there. There's dreams that we all have. There's circumstances. There's problems. There's events. There's plans. There's appointments. And I could go on with this list. There are so many things that are competing for our attention. And before you know it, you can go a week, and then you can go a month, and then you can go a year, and then you can go a decade, and you haven't even really given any thought to the fact that Christ is returning. And all these things crowd out certain realities that are true. (laughs) Pastor Andy began with some realities that are true. I want to end with the service with some realities that are true, and I want you to understand this. Number one, Christ will return. It's going to return. That's a reality. Mark it down. Secondly, God will judge and he will act justly. The wrongs will be settled. And then there's this third reality Christ is the solution, he is the way out of the mess. He is the way out. He, Jesus isn't in Luke chapter 21 and in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13, Jesus isn't dropping this bombshell of total bad news on his disciples like, you guys, I'm sorry for you, but it's all lost, man. Give up hope right now. No, what he's doing is he is telling them what's about to happen prior to him doing what? Going to the cross to die so that you and I might have life, so that those disciples might have life. And all this other stuff that we get involved in, bills and jobs and all this stuff, stuff that you got to have to live, I understand that, but all this stuff is nothing more than a distraction away from the realities that Christ is going to return. And we need to be ready. Not only do we need to be ready, but we need to be working hard that our family's ready. Is your family ready? Are your neighbors ready? How about your coworkers? Are they ready? How about the people you spend time with that you call your friends? Are they ready? When is the time to prepare? They always say this. I love this. It's usually after a major storm hits our country, and then, they're, then they do this PSA announcement. The time to prepare is when? No dip, Sherlock. <laughs> The time to prepare is when? Prior to, right? God in his mercy, Jesus in his grace, has taken the time, and God has recorded it in scripture to tell us all about his return. And, and at the end of this, he says, be prepared, be ready. Be ready. The time to be, pre- be prepared is now. What's our one hope? It's Christ. Christ is our hope in life and death. What can wash away our sins? I think we sang that this morning, didn't we? I'm going to pray, and I think we can. we sing that again? Yeah, let's do that. Can you do it as well as you guys did it the first time? I was tapping my foot and everything, man. It was awesome. (laughs) Father, you love us enough to warn us You love us enough to tell us how this is gonna all play out. None of us wants to think about this earth being burned up and destroyed. None of us wants to think about the fact that if we're not in Christ, we're gonna be judged for our sins. But we need to hear it. We need to be punched in the face with it. For those of us in this room who are not prepared, I pray that today would be the day that they prepare. For those of us in this room, though, who are prepared, Forgive us for doing everything but focusing on your return. Forgive us for getting so wrapped up with the cares of this world, for trying to numb our senses to the fact that Christ is returning. May we be those who are ready. <laughs> May we be ready when, when Christ comes to gather the church <laughs> And there's a, there's a blow of a trumpet and a great cry of command. May we be those who are like, yes, I'm ready. That can only be through your power and, and your working in our hearts. And may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.